he put his hand into the crib. The cheek he touched felt like a sack of hot water. Down by the baby's burning toes, he found the root the Indian woman had brought to them that morning. Carefully, he wrapped Ginny's fingers around it, but they unbent the moment he let go. He picked up the root and pressed it to her lips. Here, he said, as though beckoning to an animal to eat from his hand. He was forcing it between her gums when the door opened. You, let her be, get away. And so, helpless, he went off to his bed and had, at seven, his first terrifying inkling that there were in the universe forces even more immune to his charm, even more remote from his desires, even more estranged from human need and feeling than his own father. Ginny lived with her parents until the end of her mother's life. Then Willard's father, an old hulk of a thing by this time, moved into a room in Iron City, and Ginny was taken to Beckstown, off in the northwestern corner of the state, where the home for the feeble-minded used to be. It was nearly a month before the news of what his father had done reached Willard. Over his own wife's objections, he got into the car that very evening and drove most of the night. At noon the following day he returned home with Ginny, not to Chicago, but to the town of Liberty Center, which is a hundred and fifty miles down the river from Iron City, and as far south as Willard had gotten when, at the age of eighteen, he had decided to journey out into the civilized world. Since the war, the country town that Liberty Center used to be has given way more and more to the suburb of Winnesaw it will eventually become. But when Willard first came to settle, there was not even a bridge across the Slade River connecting Liberty Center on the east shore to the county seat on the west, to get to Winnesaw, you had to take a ferry ride from the landing, or, in deep winter, walk across the ice. Liberty Center was a town of small white houses shaded by big elms and maples, with a bandstand in the middle of Broadway, its main street. Bounded on the west by the pale flow of river, it opens out on the east to dairy country, which in the summer of 1903, when Willard arrived, was so deeply green it reminded him— a joke for the amusement of the young, of a fellow he once saw at a picnic who had eaten a pound of bad potato salad. Until he came down from the north, outside of town, had always meant to him the towering woods rolling up to Canada, and the weather roaring down, waves of wind, of hail, of rain and snow, and town meant Iron City, where the logs were brought to be milled and the ore to be dumped into boxcars the clanging, buzzing, swarming, dusty frontier town to which he walked each school day, or in winter, when he went off in a raw morning dimness, ran, through woods a swarm with bear and wolf. So at the sight of Liberty Center, its quiet beauty, its serene order, its gentle summery calm, all that had been held in check in him, all that tenderness of heart that had been for eighteen years his secret burden— even at times his shame, came streaming forth. If ever there was a place where life could be less bleak and harsh and cruel than the life he had known as a boy, if ever there was a place where a man did not have to live like a brute, where he did not have to be reminded at every turn that something in the world either did not like mankind or did not even know of its existence, it was here. Liberty Center. Oh, sweet name— at least for him, 
for he was indeed free at last of that terrible tyranny of cruel men and cruel nature. He found a room, then he found a job. He took an examination and scored high enough to become postal clerk. Then he found a wife, a strong-minded and respectable girl from a proper family. And then he had a child, and then one day, the fulfillment, he discovered, of a very deep desire. He bought a house of his own, with a front porch and a backyard, downstairs a parlor, a dining room, a kitchen and a bedroom, upstairs two bedrooms more, and the bath. A back bathroom was built downstairs in 1915, six years after the birth of his daughter, and following his promotion to assistant postmaster of the town. In 1962, the sidewalk out front had to be replaced, a whacking expense for a man now on a government pension, but one that had to be, for the pavement had buckled in half.